There was such a hungry curiosity in her look. Regardless of what banality was on the screen, I stared at the light flickering over her eyes and thought of some lost white sheet blowing in the night and settling into dark water. I wanted her to look at me and I wanted to be absorbed, transformed in her mind into something calm. I wanted her to help me. I had wanted that for years, but I had never articulated it, and I was shocked to realize it. I felt weak. I realized that the only way to be helped by someone was to surrender, to be honest, and say, this is me. I'm yours. Please fix whatever's wrong with me. I discovered that night that it was more than just desire I felt. It was that higher level of need and an acknowledgement that she could own me. Maybe own me already. Colin McAdam, Fall. The author of four novels, Some Great Thing, Fall, A Beautiful Truth, and Black Dove, Colin McAdam has won the Amazon Books in Canada First Novel Award, the Paragraph Hugh McClellan Prize, and the Rogers Writers Trust Fiction Prize. He has been nominated or shortlisted for the Governor General's Award, the Scotiabank Giller Prize, the Rogers Writers Trust Fiction Prize, the John Llewellyn Reese Prize in the United Kingdom, and the Commonwealth Writers Prize. I'm a huge, huge fan. So how are you today? What's going on? What's your day look like so far? I'm <laughs> Okay. Uh, my day started too, too early. I, uh, my daughter woke me up at five so, so that she could make her hair look nice, which is apparently a multi-hour process. She, she got up at five to have a shower and then she came and woke me up, uh, because we, we live, we live in the country and, uh, we're on a well and the water wasn't coming. So I had to get up and prime the pump at five o'clock this morning and then never made it back to sleep. But I think, I think it's more, it's not tiredness so much as resenting having to make someone's hair look good because, well, look, you know, look at me. <laughs> so you're, it's, you're, you're living the real rural life out there. Yeah. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty full on. It's funny. I mean, it's, it's, it's very comfortable. It's a lovely, lovely house and all that. Um, but it's, we live, um, it's in Quebec, um, but it's just across the river from Ottawa. It's this funny sort of miraculous place that has remained largely largely rural. Uh, and the weather is just brutal in the winter, you know, it's sort of Game of Thrones sort of winter. And uh, so never ridiculous, ridiculous driveway like this that we have to, I have to clear. Uh, so yeah, it's a constant engagement with the elements, which is uh, part of the fun, I guess, part of the challenge. But it's also kind of exhausting on days like this when I just wish we had some fucking municipal water. <laughs> um. Okay, so I kind of want to get right into it. I want to talk about your second novel, Fall, which is... And I don't say this a lot of to really anyone... I think it's a masterpiece. I think that book is a masterpiece. I really do. Thanks. And um, thanks. I want to talk to you about it if you don't mind. <laughs> sure. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna just give a, a little bio of it, just so the people who haven't read it know. 
Noel and Julius meet as boarders in a prep school in Ottawa. Noel has a slight physical deformity, a twitching eye. He's reserved, deeply perceptive, and deeply negative. Uh, the book starts off with him using extremely artful language to describe his life, his situation. He falls in love with a girl named Fall, Julius's girlfriend. Julius loves Fall, but not in the way a stranger loves a stranger. He's a decent kid, bright, athletic, good-looking, popular. He befriends Noel. Is that a decent sum-up of what, of what that book's about? Sure. Sure. Sounds great. Okay. So the first question I want to ask you is, in your opinion, as a guy and as a writer, what's the difference between infatuation and love? Uh, I think there isn't really, well, it's not that there's a a difference. I just think it's a spectrum. I think infatuation is, is love. Uh, you know, it literally means being foolish and, and, you know, uh, love makes everybody foolish at some level. Um, I guess if all you are is foolish, then maybe it won't last. Uh, and I suppose that's the nature of infatuation is that it just is doomed not to last. Uh, love, I think of as, as something, you know, very rich and, and, and inspiring. And I think more and more, I feel the need for love, not just, um, you know, myself, but I think the world as a whole is in desperate need of, of, of love. Um, but for me, love, I think has become a kind of, and maybe always was a a kind of religion. It offers a, it offers a, uh, such a range of things from, from sort of rapture to, to, um, spiritual fulfillment you know, and, and somewhere within there, I think is, is infatuation. I don't think they're, you know, they're, they're close cousins anyway, anyway but I don't think, uh, yeah, I think love kind of, kind of encompasses all of it. Well, one of the things that astonished me about the book is how his beginning observations about fall um, are so true about young love and the way young men observe young women when they're in love with them. And it's so human. And then slowly we find out he's a psychopath. <laughs> and I want to know how you made that leap. If you started this book knowing that he was going to be a full on psychopath, or if it, manifested that way through the writing it, it's funny jesse in a way that you're focusing on this book because for me of all my not so many books it uh is the one that i kind of remember the least uh for various reasons and i think one of them is that i wrote it during a, a difficult time that i think at some level I tried to forget. I think I tried to forget the time around the novel, and therefore I've slightly forgotten the novel. But I, I do remember. I, oh no! No, no, it's all good. I mean, I, 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 I looked at it again this morning, 
just to uh, you know study for your examination and uh, it uh, it all came back i uh I remember, yeah, no, I wanted I wanted Noel to be a, a, a psycho from the beginning, um, and I was interested in a, a personality that is is, despite being very articulate, is bad at communication, um, uh, an, an introvert who, uh, you know, doesn't doesn't actually know himself. I thought. That it was a, an interesting sort of uh, embodiment of this this paradox that I knew in other people I knew, um, and so I, I, I you know I had a pretty good idea of what I wanted him to be like. I wanted him to be very sort of able to describe the world around himself, but uh, unable to sort of look within in a in a in a way that you know might have been a little more healthy. Do you feel like talking about the time you were going through in your life when you were writing that book? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um well, I was I was going through a divorce, um or at least starting one, going through a very tough process of well, leaving my my son uh as well in, in uh, Australia with his mom and and I was you know, I didn't do it lightly and and it was it was hard for everybody and and uh at the same time falling in love with someone else and so i think there was a a real sort of polarity in my life that couldn't help but emerge in in the book um you know that sort of darkness and light and uh, and the you know consequences of failed relationships and failed communication coupled with the sort of joy of of the present, you know. Um, I think those are things that inform the book at a, at a pretty deep level. Well, you, you capture the, the Julius is written in, in kind of stream of consciousness prose. Um, and I'm going to read that in, in the post edits for the, um, for the audience. But how did that come about? Where did that idea come from? And how hard was it to write that? Which was harder, to write Noel or write Julius? Uh, Noel was was harder to write. Uh, Julius, I just had a lot of fun with. Um, there were there were moments when I, with Julius, when I, I thought, okay, I mean, it's it, it, the challenge was giving substance to frivolity in a sense, or giving substance to. Uh, you know those those thoughts that that just uh, fizz in our minds all the time, especially you know this this teenage boy. Uh, yeah. Both both sort of respecting you know the importance of those little fizzy moments, but also uh, uh, you know I think the challenge was, <laughs> which is the challenge I think with all my writing is is the line between where I sort of have fun as a writer and, and what a reader can actually bear. <laughs> and I think, uh, I think I go wrong with that often enough, but, uh, you know, with Julius, in other words, it was, how do I have fun and keep this sort of foolish, but also, you know, keep a reader's attention and give respect to these, these small moments. Uh, that was the challenge, but it was a fun one. And with, with Noel, I think it was harder just because he was a darker character and, 
I didn't really like being in that in that headspace so much. Um, yeah. Well, I, I want to read the first note, um, if you don't mind, of Noel's hostility. Do you mind if I read it? No, no, no go for it. So this is the first time in the book that you notice something's off with him and he is getting bullied, pretty normal um, junior school bullying stuff. He says, I remember late one night during that next term, I went to Shaughnessy's room. He was the senior that year who didn't have a roommate. It was two in the morning and I pushed open his door and stood by his bed. I stared at him for a long time. He woke up and was frightened. He didn't say anything for a moment, and he never really bothered me again. I turned and walked toward his door. You're a fucking freak. Get out of here, he said as I was leaving. And now, I somehow feel like I have become the presence at the edge of my own bed. For decades, the air in all my rooms has had the chill of things deliberately ignored. (laughs) See, I don't remember writing that. You don't remember writing that. Because when I read that, when I first started the book, I thought I had no idea where it was going. And I read that. And listen, I don't want this to just be a suck up interview, but I really love this book. So whatever. We'll just. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Was it hard to measure in what moments to accelerate? to the reader, his hostility? Um, I don't, I don't remember that being a particular challenge. I think I, I do have a sort of, and uh, you know, I'm not, not meaning to praise myself, but I, I have an instinctive sense of, of pace that, that tends to serve me well. Um, so I don't, you know, I, I just, I think I just kind of have a sense of when I need to sort of, turn the screw a little bit. Um, you know, I don't remember that being a real, a real challenge with this. I, it's funny. I, when I picked up the book this morning, um, I don't, I, I never read reviews of, of my stuff and, and, uh, even the, the little, uh, blurbs, uh, you know, that appear in the paperbacks. I, I never, so the, for the first time I was reading, uh, reading them in this paperback and, um, a few of them mentioned Patricia Highsmith, which rang another bell, uh, which was funny. People picked up on that, which is kind of great. But I remember that. I remember Highsmith being a real a guide for me um, while I was writing this. Um, so maybe I inherited or, or mimicked her own sort of exquisite sense of, of, of when to when to you know add a little darkness? When to uh, when to ratchet things up? You know, maybe maybe I just copied from her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When to pull back? Um, do you like being a writer? <laughs> oh, well, I'll tell you, I I I had a yeah. Do I like? I lo- I love being a writer. I guess is the short answer. I love it. Um, I, as you know, you know that it's a it's a way of being as much as you know, it's not just a hobby or a or a livelihood. It's it's just a way of being. It's a way of walking through the world, and I do love it. I last year I I had this book out um, 
uh, called Black Dove just came out. Well, it came out a year ago, I guess. Yeah. And uh, uh, that was the product of many years of, of struggle and, and also pleasure. But it uh, it was uh, it wasn't it wasn't published so much as dropped into a void. <laughs> I, uh, well, I mean, this is so. How so? That with you is the first interview I've done. You know, normally if a book comes out of mine, I'll I'll tour it. You know, go to festivals. Uh, usually, you know, different countries and 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 talk about it lots and all that sort of thing. And and with with that, I I haven't talked to a soul um, for many reasons, which you know is probably for another show. But uh, well, no, no. Let's. I, let's... I, my point is. Tell me the reasons. Well, well, I'll, I'll get I'll get to that in a second. Let's say I, I just think you know, as far as being a writer goes, I, I really learned a lesson uh, consequent to that. Which, you know, I, I I was in a very dark place after that when I sort of realized uh, through last winter that you know i would i'd spent years on this thing and it, and it's disappeared uh it never really appeared um i just kind of lost hope i lost my sense of myself in a way i thought god i'm i'm i i, I might still love writing but i can't write anymore i mean i have to make money for my family i have to i have to make a go of this and it doesn't look like i can um you know, it wasn't that I was sort of actively discouraged by my publishers, but, you know, the result was kind of the same that I just felt uh, hopeless, which is, you know, a feeling I've I've had many dark moments in my life, but a feeling of absolute hopelessness was, was something I, I hadn't known. And I felt that over and over, you know, waking me up in the middle of the night. And, and, and then one morning I just, uh, you know, had that feeling that, you you know, you can't let other people decide your fate and and uh i i started writing another novel and and man jesse you know i, I don't know you, you must know this feeling somewhere in your in your writing career i just started writing and i and i i just got so excited about it. i picked up an old book i can't i can't talk the details about this this book because it's it's just in the process of It'll go up to to submission soon. The 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 long and short of it is that in two months I wrote a novel. It's a short one, um, and and <laughs> you know maybe that's 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 why. But for me, that's a record. I mean, these other ones took took me years, and this one kind of pulled me out of my funk in a way, uh, just reminding me that I just love this enterprise. I just love writing. <laughs> I I was so excited to to get up in the morning um, and I wrote all day and I read to my wife every few days and I was turning out, you know, 20 pages a day and I write longhand. Uh, so the very physical act of it too is just immensely pleasurable for me somehow. So I just, you know, dragging my pen across that page every day, it was just th thrilling for me. It was like lighting a candle every, every day, you know, and, uh, Brought brought me to a brighter place, and uh, who knows what'll happen? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I still, you know, feel a bit breathless sometimes thinking about the reception of, of Black Dove, uh, and I still have questions about whether I will indeed have a career going forward. But 
as a long answer to your question, yes, I love being a writer. Thank you for telling me that. I, I want to say a couple of things. Um, one, I I loved Black Dove, um, but two, I I know what you mean because when, when my I've been I've published one of my books has been published. I just sent my second one to my agent. It took me six years to write it, and it's hundred and thirty pages. I know it's not going to sell. Like it's not going to become a bestseller. Like I know that. Well, you don't. You, but, you don't know that. Let me interrupt you there. You don't. You don't know that. You 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 know nothing. <laughs> we we know we know nothing about the future, Jesse. That's you know, I I, I know that feeling of of comforting yourself, just pre- preempting the despair. But you know, you don't you don't know that. But, but I guess what I wanted to say was, even if I never get published again. The fact that I published one book every time in my darkest moments makes mm. me happy every time, you know, because mm. before I'd published anything, I'd never really accomplished anything in my life. I dropped out of school. I had a drug problem for numerous years. I had all, all kinds of difficulties. And it was the first thing that was mine and that I was proud of. And, um, I'm still proud of it, but I know what you mean. And especially in Canada, like let's not both get ourselves blackballed in this conversation, but what do you think about the literature scene in Canada compared to the United States? Well, I don't, I don't know the scene very well, to be honest. And, and nor in the States, I, I know the culture, uh, you know, well enough. And I, I'm not proud of where Canada is culturally. Um, I'm not, I'm not inspired by it. And, but I'm, I, you know, what I see in the States doesn't seem that much better either. We're, we're in a very dark period, I think, as, as just socially, I think, you know, uh, I, I think it's still so fresh in many of our minds that we still are uncomfortable talking about it. But, you know, what, what the response to COVID did was was undermine so much of of our world and i think not least our our social contract and it you know it, it's created a, a a society of isolated strangers and over 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 layering that is is a a kind of cultural control that's grown from this from this digital age that is far more uh, uh powerful and poisonous than I, I ever expected it to be. Uh, and so what I try to remind myself of, and it's what I felt when I was writing this novel this year, is that, you know, I have this opportunity. I have this this gift. Uh, I need to sing despite all that. I need to ignore all that. I need to ignore whatever it is I think about Canadian culture and American culture. I need to ignore all these noises and the sense of control and just sing because that's, that's all I can do. It's the only thing I have control over. Um, and, uh, you know, it sounds selfish, but I think it's the way we can all kind of get back together in a sense is if we, you know, if you cherish that feeling that you have, that pride that you have over publishing your book, 
you know, keep that alive. And, and, you know, I think that has an infectious quality. And I think, you know, being ourselves as much as we can be is, is our duty as, as, as artists. And, you know, if, if right now the, the sort of greater cultural control feels, uh, like too too much of a restraint, too oppressive. You just have to fight against it and just you know keep being ourselves. I guess that's. I feel like we're engaging in a mutual therapy session. Suddenly, is this going to cost me money? This is yeah. You're going to get invoiced for this. Well, this is a <laughs> this is a great conversation. I think one of the things, especially in the last year or so, that's drawn me back to fall, is. I'm not going to get into it, but some things happened to me during COVID that for the first time in my life, I thought that's unfair, you know, like I'd never felt that kind of devastation and sadness and solitude before. And it made me, listen, Noel is, kills a girl in the book. How sympathetic can you be over him? But it is that age-old question, um, and Hemingway wrote a short story about it called Summer People. You know, why do some guys get the girl, and why do some guys not get the girl, right? And it's always struck me, and I've been on both ends of the equation in a fair enough way, but it's always struck me as one of the unfairnesses of life. What do you think about that? Well, I don't I don't want to get too far on a tangent in a way, but I, I feel somehow that they're related at a deep level, the concept of fairness and the, and, and the, the culture that has been created and that manifested itself through through COVID, which, you know, I, I, I fundamentally believe that life is not fair and life is a struggle. And uh, the way you get the girl is through struggling and you, we've had a couple of generations, you know, not just in Canada, but I think in the West generally where uh, struggle has been discouraged and, 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 you know, some concept of, you know, fairness has become a sense of entitlement and what, what, you know, I, 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 I think about this quite a bit because I have a, a teenage daughter at home and, and mm. you know, think about what kind of world uh, I'm presenting to her, but also the world that she is, you know, handed by her, her classmates and her, and her school and, and just, you know, through the media she, she takes in. And what I want to see, what I'd love to see and what I do see to some extent is a, a kind of resurgence uh, uh, and a, a celebration anew of bravery. Because I think what we saw through the way the world responded to COVID was very craven and very, uh, very mean. And of course, unfairness was generated through that. But uh, the response was that we, when faced with adversity, uh, we're, we're told to cower and we're told to isolate and we're told to 
yes, for the sake of being kind to each other, we were told, in fact, you know, to hide from each other. And what manifested, of course, was cruelty to each other. And, you know, part of my, I think, sort of obsession these last few years has been, you know, trying to encourage within myself and certainly within my, my small world, the idea that we have to get up and struggle and we have to meet people and love people and, you know, be together and not be on these fucking screens that you and I are connecting over uh, now. It's, it's, you know, uh, and then our concept of fairness changes. I think when we know that we're all struggling, we know that we're all suffering. I mean, that's another thing that's disappeared from our world is, is the sense that, that there is universal suffering that, you know, we, we've been measuring, you know, individual suffering over others and saying, well, I'm, I'm the greater victim than you for generations now. And there's, there's no, there's no connection that can emerge from that. There's no common cause. There's no, uh, I think fairness. I mean, I think when we're all, you know, doing well ourselves and knowing that we're struggling and knowing that other people are struggling, then, you know, actually beautiful things emerge from that. But it's been a process of looking at life from the other direction uh, for, for a long time now. And I think it's, you know, we're, we're, we're reaping the rewards, which are pretty dark. <laughs> I'm sounding kind of grim, aren't I? No, I am. Um, I'm really liking what you're saying. Cause I think I need to, I need to myself hear it, you know, forget my audience. I need to hear it because, um, <laughs> I, uh, it took me a long time to grow up, you know, Colin, I, I was, I, I stayed I a kid you. for a long time and, yeah, um, good. it took, it took me a long time, but I did it. I, I did grow up, but fuck, it was painful, man. Growing up was painful, especially at an advanced age, you know, um, mm -hmm. I'd had a lot of things given to me and a lot of natural gifts. Some I executed and some I squandered. Anyway, this is turning, this is turning into a group therapy session, but, um, <laughs> um, can we talk a little bit? Is black dove too, too shitty a subject for you? Can we talk a little bit no, about no, the writing no, no, of it? No. Has, I'd love to talk about it. Yeah. One of the things I don't, uh, I have two kind of rules on this show, but I'm going to, one is I don't talk about politics, really. And is the other is I don't talk about addiction um, because both bore the shit out of me, right? <laughs> um, for different reasons. Um, but I have to say your portrait of the alcoholic mother in Black Dove um Fuck, I'm trying to remember the quote now. It's about sweetness. The father's telling her son something about sweetness. Anyway, I'll read it. But the father talking to the son about the mother, you know, she slept a lot during the end, didn't she? Yeah, she did. Those kinds of conversations. They were very true and very apt and very heartbreaking. And, um, I want to know if you, where that came from. Well, that, that came pretty directly from my own life. Um, you know, it's a funny book, that one, because it, 
it's at some level a fantasy and it's it's a book that i never thought i'd ever write i mean it's a it's a book of, with you know fantastical beasts and uh, one of the main characters is a is a writer and the other one's a 12 year old boy and i those were three things that earlier in my career i i just would have been appalled by I would have, you know if i caught myself you know writing about any of those things i would have said shame on shame on you um but I, I I did it, and I did it for a reason, maybe, well, for several reasons. But in in many respects, that is the most sort of autobiographical of all my books, um, of all my many books. <laughs> uh, I catch myself sometimes twenty years down the track thinking, Jesus Christ, I've only written how many books, um, and. The stuff with the mother was my my own mother was an alcoholic and and she left when my brother and I were were quite young um, and uh, yeah a lot of that book came from from that I mean I, I had this I had this funny childhood uh, in many ways in that my my dad was a a diplomat a Canadian diplomat and and he himself had grown up in a sort of working class family two scottish parents who were also both drunks um and he he kind of pulled his way out of that and, and went to university and sat the foreign service exam and became a diplomat and and moved to london england and then hong kong where where my brother and i were born and and thereafter we went through all all kinds of different countries and all kinds of different schools and all kinds of different circumstances, which on paper I think can look, you know, very glamorous and, and privileged. That, that dreadful word that everybody uses now, privilege. Um, but the the reality the reality was was different in a way, as like like every life on paper looks different. Uh, you know, my mom, like I said, was a was a drunk and not a, not a great mother, and and. Uh, and then my stepmother came into the picture and essentially just sort of took took our childhood i guess is the is the easiest way to say it she was just a very abusive woman and uh we went through a lot of dark things my brother and i and you know helped each other through it but uh also you know gathered a collection of memories that i think most of <laughs> we both we both have we both like to forget so I guess part of writing Black Dove was remembering, um, remembering some of that stuff. And, you know, memory is, was something that I wanted to explore on a, on a deeper sort of cellular level in a way, because I got quite fascinated by uh, gene editing. And I wanted to sort of explore the concept of memories being within our DNA. And what gene editing does, of course, is try to alter DNA to to make life or or, or some creation better. And that that concept just really fascinated me. And and so creating this world of of fantastical beasts made sense within that context of a very real human desire to make things better when uh, bad memories and sadness and difficulty uh rear up as they always will uh so i wanted to explore in a sense how how dark we can get trying to make things light um trying to make things better uh 
mm. for me, you know, ultimately it's, it's about, I, I, you know, as I, I, I guess I'm guessing you did through your own struggles with addiction. You, you kind of have to wise up in a way and realize that things are hard and, and you either make them harder by avoiding them or you, or you confront them. So I'm in, in a funny sort of roundabout and simple way. That book for me is about a kid learning through story to gather the courage to meet the girl across the street. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of, it's kind of that. And, uh, you know, that, that played out. I wrote most of the book before COVID happened, but it ended up having a strange resonance for me, um, to see what the world was doing. In other words, doing the same sort of, uh, unhealthy denial of, of reality. That, that I kind of explored in the book. An unhealthy denial of reality. Is it your closest book? Uh, no, I mean, I, I love them all. And it's funny, just dipping into fall this morning, uh, it was really fun uh, remembering doing that and, and remembering, you know, there, there's some actually, there's some funny, <laughs> funny bits in there that I'd forgotten. Uh, uh, I forgot that I used to be funny. Uh, no, I don't think Black Dove is the closest one to me. I think they're, they're equally important. They're all, they're, they're markers. They're, they're sort of reflections of times of my life and that that's what i like the most about them in a sense i can see where i was at five years ago 10 years ago 20 years ago and you know what my concerns were and how how i gave that expression i, I think that's something that i really like about all of them you teach as well yeah i teach i do a summer uh, thing a week in the in the summer uh with humber which is a university in toronto and uh and I do a correspondence thing with them sometimes as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've come, I've come to like it. I, I never thought I would. I, I, I started off, you know, I studied for a long time, thinking that I would teach at university. That was the goal of my original studies. And then, uh, as I sort of neared the end of the PhD, I thought, oh fuck this! There's no way I want to be in this world. Um, and you know, I got a job in Australia, uh, and then wrote my first novel through that and, and, you know, kind of got lucky thereafter. Um, and I've struggled to, to stay afloat since then. It's been 20 years, but the teaching has, has been surprisingly fun. Um, you know, I still, I still don't, you know, well, to be honest, Jesse, and I shouldn't say this publicly, but I, I, you know, I, I will, I'll destroy my reputation such as it is but i'm not sure that writing can be taught but i know that there are sort of techniques and ways of looking at the page and ways of looking at you know life that that can be taught and uh, it's fun sort of exploring those i uh i won't go too much into it but i i agree with you um let me look at my this interview got sidetracked in a really lovely way. No, no. Sometimes you get, oh, I I just want to read uh, an excerpt when the police officer is interrogating Noel because I found this 
Fuck, this is great, man. Um, so I guess what the police officer is trying to do is he's trying to form this connection with Noel to get him to talk about the pains of unrequited love to get him to confess because he has a suspicion that he's killed this girl. And the cop says to Noel, this brought me back to when I was a kid, you know. I remember my cousin Naomi was looking after me when I was 11 or so. She wasn't a lot older, 18. I kind of had a crush on her, and I overheard her talking to her boyfriend that afternoon on the phone. In a way, I'd never heard her talk. Kind of sexy, right, Noel? Disappointing somehow. And I was angry. Is that how you felt? I don't have any questions about that. I just think it's a... Your observations are just subtle and real, man. Like, I, I, you know, like, that's, you can't teach that, I guess, is what I'm trying to say and why I wanted to read it. You can't teach that kind of writing. Um, well, that's nice of you to say. <laughs> great work. That's, that's definitely a passage I don't, I don't remember writing. Uh, funny. Um, I'm going to break my, uh, my, my, I had three rules on the show, no politics, no addiction. And I'm never going to ask a writer what their writing process <laughs> is like, but I actually want to ask you what your writing process is like. Well, first of all, I read the paper and get angry at the politics and then I have a drink and then, no, my writing process is, uh, well, I get up, I, you know, I deal with family necessities in the morning, you know, take my daughter to work or to school or whatever. And, uh, and then I sit in my study and, and, and suffer and, uh, you know, sometimes feel overjoyed. It's like I said, I write, I write longhand. It really depends. You know, my, my, my novels have all been so different from each other that the, the, the sort of approach has been uniquely different each time. You know, if, if it's a, my first book was a real sort of character-driven thing, and I guess follows too. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of books like the the my I wrote a book about chimpanzees that in, involved a, a ton of research, and so my process for that was was different. You know, it was it was reading a lot. It was it was well hanging out with chimps eventually. That was something that I was lucky enough to do. Um, so yeah, you know, in terms of writing process, and we don't we don't always hang out with chimpanzees. I guess. Um, excuse me. That made that that made that unique. Um, it's it's often a matter of getting into a mood for me. Uh, you know, I think that's the sort of constant through all of these novels is is that. Uh, I think of all of them as kind of mood music somehow that, that in order to get inside these characters and then get to find them, the sort of music of their own hearts, I need to, you know, find the appropriate music elsewhere. And sometimes that really is just a process of listening to music. Uh, I do that a lot, sort of first thing in the morning, um, just to, to, to find I remember doing that with Black Dove a lot. I listened to a lot of, of Nick Cave and uh, Stuart Staples. I don't know. Do you know Stuart Staples from no. Tinder Sticks? No. Anyway. You know the you Tinder know, Sticks. Just, yeah, yeah. I yeah. know Tinder Sticks. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, you know, that that's kind of my process. I, it's, it's best for me to get cracking in the morning and then um, 
I I've got the the stuff buzzing in my in my head so that you know I have lunch and and do a little more and then I can think through things as I'm engaging with other demands and realities of life and, and then you know maybe get a bit more done in the later afternoon and then uh, you know have a drink and away we go round and round and round. I'm very glad that you didn't stop. Were you actually close to to throwing in the towel with writing like actually yeah for sure yeah absolutely um you know there's just a practical reality to it where if you're if you're not making money you gotta you gotta figure something else out um but i'm so conscious you know as i age and i've you know i like i like to think that i've thought about death for (laughs) for a long time i think it's part of your responsibility as a writer, if not as a human being, to be aware that, you know, your days are numbered. But I, I, something about being up here in the country, something about, you know, uh, being, being beyond 50, um, I, I'm aware of just how precious and, and beautiful this life is and how short it is and what a gift it is. And if I'm, uh, having to uh, just spend my days worrying about money all the time, then it's just uh, not not the way to 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 suck the life out of a day. I guess when that's that's all I really want to do is just appreciate each day and make the most of it and be you know grateful for what I have because I do I do have a lot. I've been very lucky. I've been very lucky, and I want to sort of sing that luck, I guess, and that's what I managed to do through that through that book. You know, like I said, who who, who the fuck knows what's what's next? Um, but you know, you have you have this day, and I know you know perhaps that was part of your your recovery, um, which you don't want to talk about. But uh, it's 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 about for me, you know, one day at a time. It's the old uh, the old. Alcoholics Anonymous uh, uh, dictate, you know, that you 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 just you got to appreciate these days, and, and writing is a beautiful way to do that. You know, it really is. It's it's solitary. It's 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 weird. It sometimes feels like a very perverse way to spend your time, especially if because I'm I, I do like people and I like being out among people, and I you know I. I like playing and, and to be tied down on a chair writing stuff often feels deeply perverse and wrong, but it's also a way of, of ordering these thoughts and, and putting these temporary moments into a, into a vessel that you can, you can sip from later, you know, and that's, that's what I felt this morning looking at fall. Like I said, of just, uh, uh, you know, oh yeah, I remember. I remember that guy. I remember being that guy. I remember wanting to do that, and uh, it's it's great fun. So, you know, it you take those temporary days and and make them last just a little longer with writing. I think on days I don't write, I feel uh, guilty, and I have mm. always for about fifteen years. I just feel mm. like I've wasted my day, and that I'm just headed nowhere. Do you feel that way? Sometimes. Not not as much as I should, <laughs> not as much as I should. I get it uh, for sure, and I think that's great. I mean, that's really motivating. But I've had long stretches, you know. I mean, my book—it was ten years. I still kind of feel my my breath stops when I think about ten years between 
my third and fourth novel, I just have no idea where those years went. And I suppose there were tons of days in there where I did not write. And I probably should have, but, you know, it is what it is. Have you made peace with the regrets in your life? I, I've never, I've never entirely trusted the sort of Edith Piafs of this world who say, who say that you regret nothing. I've never, I've never known that. I feel like regret is, is a pretty universal human emotion. Do you think it's eternal? And, and, and whether, whether you let it get the better of yourself is, is, I guess, the question. Uh, I think it softens. I mean, I think the things that I regret just kind of get buried by new bruises, mm. maybe um, fr- fresher ones. <laughs> uh, and I try not to focus on regret, but I also, I think honoring it is a, is a, is something, you know, can be, can be helpful, can be fruitful. Uh, looking hard at, at things that, you regret is, is, is productive sometimes in, in writing terms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But if, if you don't, I don't know. I've been thinking about that a lot. And I was talking to a friend about that last night about regret. And, um, yeah, I, I think it is eternal in a way. I don't think it, I, I don't think we are reborn you know, in this life. I think we carry what we have with us. And I agree with you that it softens. Um, I ask all my guests this. What's your opinion of Cormac McCarthy? Hmm. Uh, yeah, actually, it's funny because, I, I, like I said, I've listened to your, your, your other podcasts and they've been great. Um They've been great, and yeah, and I mentioned to you before. I should I should repeat that I don't normally listen to literary podcasts, and I've, I've loved yours. Um, I think partly, I think encouraging free range is a is a good thing. I think there's something about your manner that does that. Thank you. Uh, what do I think of Cormac McCarthy? I think he's uh, uh, amazing, absolutely brilliant. Uh, I was yeah, I, I was struck. It's funny. When you asked, I guess you asked a similar question of, of Margaret Atwood. Uh, her response was was that he was dark, and I think about that a lot. Uh, and it was sort of telling that she said that in a way because what I mean, what I would say is that he's he's written some of the most uh, blood filled. Uh, visceral, surprising musical sentences ever written that start in one place and take you, you to a surprising end, which is something that I, I absolutely love and try to do as much as I can in my own practice. And sometimes I turn to his work just just for music. Um, and to have it sort of reduced to just being dark is is it, it's kind of a it's a glimpse of the moment in a way and i think it's probably what black dove was or is up against is is that we're as a culture just 
accustomed to avoid darkness and, and, and shun it and consider it a sort of shortcoming somehow. We're just sort of entertaining ourselves and we don't want to feel bad. We don't want to, you know, look in the dark places. But I mean, I think of this as like the, the fundamental duty of a, of, of a writer is to, sh- to shine a light in, in the dark places and, and not to be afraid and to find the, 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 the beauty in the darkness and, and, and tease out, tease out, you know, the hidden music of it. And that's what he does absolutely brilliantly. And in, in one's own darkness, you know what I mean? Not in another's darkness that you mm-hmm. replicate mm-hmm. in your own darkness, because that's what's scary. Mm-hmm. And that's what creates powerful writing, because what's dark to me may not be dark to you no, and vice versa. Pro- pro- right? Probably isn't. But <laughs> yeah. So you're a fan of Blood Meridian? Oh, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing book. It's a, it's it, the 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 fire of it just surprises me every time I dip into it. It's just I think about that movement that he conjures. I mean, I, I've always been drawn, and I think he. I haven't really looked into his 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 biography um, or his practice, but I feel uh, that what he draws from is is a, a similar tradition to what got me excited about writing, you know, decades ago, which is that ability to tease out of the English line, the sort of natural rhythms that carry as much weight as the logic of them, in a sense. Uh, And uh, I think of writers like Jack Kerouac, for example, who's, you know, he's dismissed often enough for, for the culture that grew around him. And for all the, you know, the the beat stuff and for, you know, how he treated women and all this sort of, you know, whatever accrued around him. But what what he is 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 just really uh, the, the beauty that he embodies for me is is in teasing the, the rhythm of, of, of travel out of the English language that he just he finds this natural rhythm that feels like you're on a journey. And I think Cormac probably channeled that as well. And, and other writers like that that I love uh, are, say, Philip Levine. Uh, I don't know whether you know him. He's an Amer- American poet. Um, did some stunning poems about work, which I turned to as well for, for a similar music, where you're, you, you, you just feel like you're traveling. Every sentence feels like a journey. And I feel that more and more in my own practice where I feel like if, if I don't feel like I'm, I'm sort of leaping when I'm starting a sentence, it's, it's not going to be as, as fun. You know, I just want every sentence to be a leap. And I, I feel that when I read Cormac, like he's just having some, some fun with this. Like this is fucking beautiful. Do you think he's a genius? Oh yeah, yeah, without question. I I do too. I yeah. think he's a genius. Yeah, there was a um, there was a fire in him. Go on. Yeah, there was just there was a, a fire in him. I, I really feel that. And and his descriptions of fire, that's what I I read it the first time I read his descriptions of fire. The the paragraph starts with the the embers paled and deepened and paled and deepened like the blood beat of some living thing eviscerate upon the ground. Wild, man. Um, Beautiful. I've got two final questions for you. Are you ready? I think so. Okay. Um, Give me your top four books. 
Oh, God. You know, honestly, Jesse, I, you could ask me on a different day and I'd have different answers. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, to be honest, think that way. Um, I, I, there are so many books that I've loved. Well, I mean, you know, formative books, let's say, uh, you know, when I was a teenager, I loved uh, a lot of American books, uh, you know, Catch-22, things like that. Um, not many things like that, I guess. I love Catch-22. I, I, I love uh, Herman Hess when I was, you know, sort of 14, 15. Uh, one of the most important books for me, strangely, uh, the, I, I've just—I I don't want to go into details about what I, what I just wrote, but it's related to this. Uh, there was a book named uh, *Cupid and Psyche*. Did you ever come across this? It's a Roman book by a guy named Apuleius. No. And it's one of the earliest novels, you know, one of the earliest sort of prose fictions. Uh, and it's it's funny as hell. Robert Graves did a translation of it. And it's funny, and it involves travel, and there's a mystical moment in the middle that uh, okay. is a sort of uh, mythic rumination on love, on on spiritual love, and and you know how it differs from the profane love that that this character. Uh, uh, did I did I say Cupid and Psyche or the Golden Ass? It's called the book is called the Golden Ass. Sorry, and the myth in the middle is Cupid and Psyche. The Golden Ass. Check it out. It's very funny. But there's travel in it. There's a there's a myth in the middle of it. And there's there's a, a kind of sacred and profane aspect to it. And I think those things have been a kind of guiding light for me when I think about it. I'm, I'm thinking off the top of my head. But those, those things have been uh, a sort of uh, collection of concerns that I think I've I've had in the back of my mind as I've written everything, you know, um, I love, I love the idea of going on a journey of, you know, being on a journey as a reader and going to surprising places. Um, and yeah, and, and love and sterilist joke. <laughs> Do you think, um, writers, will have happier lives if they have children? <laughs> I think, I think everybody, you know, this, this idea of choosing to have a child is a, is a pretty recent phenomenon in human history. You know, you know, you, you just need to go back to your, your parents' generation. You know, that was really the first to really have that, you know, controllable ability to, to, you make that decision. You know, we're we're animals, Jesse, and and you know we we're we're primates, and and that is that dictates everything. Uh, and you know, having children is is a very is just it's just a natural thing, and and to sort of decide whether or not you should or could it's it's an unnatural question. It's an unanswerable question. I think. Um, 
that's uh, not to say that you know one one ought not to ask it or or that you know uh, there isn't an answer in particular circumstances. I'm not I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that uh, it's worth keeping that in mind. That it's actually something we're 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 meant to do, um, or or that's you know meant to happen. Uh, how we deal with the result of childbirth is is where is how we're how we're measured. And I've seen certainly in my own life an array of, of failures. Um, but I do think it it provides a depth of understanding. Uh, even even at the diaper changing level, that can inform writing in a, in a really positive way, uh, and gives you a sense of, of of humanity and of self that you know can't help but be be useful in writing. Uh, are you thinking of having kids? I I am almost constantly these days. Yeah, yeah. It's very strange. I don't know. I don't know why. All of a sudden, but I'm I'm having these uh, these thoughts of like, you know, you better stop fucking around, Jesse, and and get this together. You know, mm-hmm. because you know I'm 37 and I'm not super young anymore, and uh, I'm not really interested in being a 60 year old bachelor, man. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think I wanted to be for a long time. Kids in a family would be nice. Um, yeah. Um listen man, I I really I want to thank you for being here. I you're my favorite writer in the country and I I I hope you keep writing. Thanks, Jesse. That means it means a lot to me. It really does. It's been great to to chat and and like I said, you know, I I think all the time about our our culture in terms of social media and how much of of what I prized of of my youth has been sort of burned by this sort of digital uh, fire, uh, particularly through social media and, and what a collapse it's created. And the collapse, I always think, is partly due to uh, it being a culture of, of shouting and, and not listening. And, you know, listening is such a, a beautiful thing. And, and what you're doing with this podcast is precisely that you're, you're, you're listening and you're, you're creating stories for people to listen to. And I think that's, you know, next to writing novels, uh, it's, it's a beautiful, empathetic way to engage with other people. And uh, so I'm, I'm really glad you're doing this and I'm, I'm honored to be part of it. And, uh, Thanks for the words of encouragement. I'll keep. Uh, okay, thank you, Colin. Do me a favor. You do too. Stay on after I stop this because it has to upload. Okay. Sure. Imagine if your childhood is taken away completely. How it haunts you when you age. That universal idea of innocence—not a single good memory. All your natural inclinations toward love and curiosity being replaced by simple fear, and you fear creating habits, subterfuge, every day running from something. She said she would kill herself, kept a kitchen knife in the top drawer of the dresser, in case there were intruders. I'll use that knife one day. Having Oliver only reminded her of the things her brother did to her, her father, 
He leaned over the banister and wondered, could he do it? Falling down the stairs probably wouldn't be enough, but he could do it. Dive right over, snap his neck, give up. No more worries about money, meals, dentist. Every day the same struggle. Oliver, you home? The radio. For whatever reason, he always wanted to see what would happen next. He couldn't wait, even if there was some shitty surprise or misery. Having a kid was like a constant invitation. When she left, when she was there in the hospital bed, face swollen from running at the window, he came home to the babysitter, who said Oliver had wet his bed, that he had cried all night. It could have been awful. could have raised the question of why the fuck any of us carry on. Is washing sheets all I have while the love of my life wants to die? But there was something about the simple act of cleaning up, holding him, knowing we're just little animals and I would do anything to protect my boy. Black Dove, Colin McAdam.